but I assume it's got something to do with money, 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 money. Just to give you context, in a week where we would have done $70,000 of sales, we did $5,000 because the site was so broken. People couldn't use it. It's not even about the loss of revenue. It's now you've got all these angry customers who are very angry at you. It ruins your brand. It ruins your reputation so much. That was a stressful time. If we can help any listeners out there, I'm happy to actually offer any listeners trying to explain to my family what exactly it was I was doing. I don't even know if my mom still knows what I do. Well, it's funny because I was talking to an entrepreneur this morning who's having that same problem. Like she's invested close to $50,000 trying to build. I think the most valuable thing for me was even just the network of people that I now count as friends, as peers, people that I now have all around the world that I can reach out to if I need help. And I'm also there for them to support them however they need it. Hi, my name's Diana Goodwin and I'm 36. I'm the founder and CEO of MarketBox. The MarketBox team is based in Toronto, Canada. MarketBox is a business-to-business SaaS platform, that software as a service platform. Our software is meant to help service businesses manage the logistics and sales of selling services. So we're best suited for businesses that are either service marketplace or have a business that has service providers that have to travel to different locations to serve their customers, whether they have to travel to homes or to businesses. The reason that we started this software is because my first company, which is called Aquamobile, which I bootstrapped for over eight years, we had to build a software internally to manage all of the traveling swim instructors who would go into clients' home and condo pools to teach private swimming lessons because there was no software that existed for us to manage all of these swim instructors and also the sales piece of things. So eventually other businesses started to approach Aquamobile for our software and we then turned it into the current MarketBox platform so that we could help other businesses that have service providers who are not tech savvy, they can use our platform instead to manage all of the logistics and sales. It is extremely painful to have to build your own software. It can take tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, not to mention many months of building and headaches. And so we take care of that for you so that you can get your business up and running immediately. And you're saying Aquamobile, so just everyone understands. Can you just talk briefly about your company there? And then maybe I'll ask some more questions about how you actually built software for that company because it was so useful and you told people about it that you decided, hey, why don't I make this its own business, the software that I created for my first company, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what happened is I grew up, my background is I was very active entrepreneurial person. I loved sports growing up. That's how I initially got the idea to build Aquamobile because sports played such a huge part in my life growing up and the confidence that it gave me, which that confidence has permeated through multiple parts of my life. And for me, since I found my confidence through sport, I wanted to give that confidence to other people as well. So I did start off actually when I was a teenager as a swim instructor that eventually turned into Aquamobile where I would go to people's home and condo pools to teach private swimming lessons. 
And then I ended up hiring other swim instructors to do the same. And I started managing the business side of things. Part of managing the business aspect of Aquamobile was having to manage the logistics of, okay, which swim instructors are willing to travel to a certain client location. Then you have to factor in travel time between clients. And it's a mess. Like it's something that I started out doing manually myself and then had to hire office managers to do that instead as the company grew. And so I knew the only way to scale Aquamobile was going to be leveraging technology. To give you context, when I decided to start leveraging technology, this was back around 2010. And so Uber was just becoming a thing. It was not a common thing to be using technology in the way that I wanted to use it back then. So really, I was on my own to try and develop the product that could automate the business and manage everyone's schedules and travel zones. So as the business grew, which I bootstrapped that business, but as it grew, I would invest every little bit of profit I had back into the technology side of things so that I could build a better and better technology product. So you know, we'd build a product. We have customers and swim instructors and administrators using it. We'd learn from what was working, what wasn't working. As we got more money, we would enhance features on the software or find another part of the business to automate through the software. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, like here, I just want to make sure because it seems like we're jumbling up a lot of years here. Do you mind if I just cut in every once in a while? Yeah. We start from the beginning and keep it chronological to make sure we all understand how this happened kind of year by year. Yeah, no problem. So did you actually start Aquamobile like in 2010? Yes, I started it in 2010. Before that, it was really just kind of me as a side hustle. I was teaching swim lessons in between kind of my full-time job. And you were doing this in Canada? I was doing this in Canada, yes. I was actually a management consultant at Bain & Company. And I had this side hustle going on and they were totally cool with it. It was just a kind of a stress reliever for me to have something else that I could spend a few hours a week on outside of the grind of management consulting life. Did you do this during winter? During the winter months, not really. It was more during the warm summer months. I figured it'd be a little bit harder to do it during the winter, especially if you're doing outdoor pools, right? Yeah, exactly. There were a couple people with condos who had indoor pools, but it was really mostly outdoor pools in the summer. Okay. And basically a swim instructor inside. And did you do like swimming in college or were you a really good swimmer? I'm just trying to figure out why the swimming angle. Yeah. I loved sports growing up. Actually at college, I was on the varsity soccer team and the varsity track and field team as a sprinter, but I grew up and went through all the swimming levels and became a swim instructor. So as a teenager, I would earn my money as a swim instructor. Okay. So you've always been doing this. So now that makes more sense, but it seems like obviously you're pretty athletic if you're able to do all that with track and field and soccer. And then it seems like you get a good job with Bain and Company, you're saying? Yeah, I did a summer internship with them. Let's see, that was probably summer of 2006. And then I went to work full time with them after. So in 2007, after I graduated, I was there full time for three years. Yeah. And was that still in Canada as well? The Bain and Company? That was actually, at the time, the Toronto office was paired with the Chicago office. So I ended up getting staffed on a lot of American cases as well. So I spent a lot of time traveling back and forth between Toronto and various Midwest cities, such as Chicago, Pittsburgh. Those were a couple big ones where I spent a lot of time. And so if anyone doesn't know that company, I mean, I've even heard of it. I know it's a big company. It's like a very hard job to get, right? Yeah, it's a tough job to get. It's one of those 
at the time, I don't know where everyone wants to go work now. I think now people want to be more entrepreneurs when they're coming out of school, to be honest. But at the time, that was, I would say, the more coveted jobs was to go and work in management consulting or at one of the big banks. What's management consulting mean? Just so, again, everyone's on the same page who's listening here. A good question, because it can mean many different things. But in the case of, there's a few kind of big three consulting companies that would be Bain, where I worked, McKinsey and & Company, and BCG, that's Boston Consulting Group. And those three consulting firms specialize in what's called strategy consulting, management strategy. So their job is typically larger corporations, maybe Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies that will hire a management consulting team to work on a certain project. So it could be anything like they've purchased another company and they need to integrate that new company into their existing giant organization. They don't have either the manpower to do it themselves or the time to do it themselves or even the expertise to do it themselves. So what will typically happen is a request for proposal to several different consulting firms. And then the consulting firms will have a bake-off, typically, where they present their plan, their fees and all of that, and the large corporation will choose which management consulting firm to use. And then from there, that management consulting firm will send a team, could be typically between four to eight people, to go in, work on this project over a number of months. Okay. It seems like you're doing that because you're new, right? Coming out of college. Are you running Excel models? Or are you trying to help the management team figure out how to do this? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. No, starting out, out of undergrad, you start as an analyst. As an analyst, you're doing the Excel models. You're doing a lot of research. You're doing a lot of more like the grunt work. You're dealing with a lot of data, a lot of information. That was what I did, I guess, for the first couple of years. And then for my last year there, that was my third year, I got promoted to senior associate consultant. And that's typically where you start to, maybe you have like a junior analyst underneath you that you'll be managing, or you do start to own client relationships at that point as well. So you might team up with someone within that larger corporation where they're your main point of contact and you're working with them to get the information you need and what have you. But typically at that point, you're not in there kind of wheeling and dealing with the C-level executives at these large organizations. That's typically for the partners and maybe the managers who sit below the partners in a consulting firm. I was just trying to figure out if there's anything that you might have learned from there that kind of helped you grow Aqua Mobile, which was obviously your first business by yourself. Yeah, I think there's probably little bits and pieces here and there. I think I became extremely good at data, dealing with data. That's what I figured. Honestly, it's probably the main thing that you end up learning there, I'd imagine, at that role. And you know what? You still do learn a lot about relationships because I could even learn from my managers and kind of their mistakes that they were making because you still get to see everything that's going on for the most part. You're still privy to a lot of the conversations and a lot of the politics that are going on. And so I really got an appreciation early on for the power of relationships and the way you communicate with people and how important that is to your success later on in whatever you do. So even though I may not have been fully practicing those skills a lot, I still got to learn by observing a lot of really smart people doing their jobs. Right. Honestly, what you can also learn, I don't know if this was part of your thinking when you started Aquamobile, is maybe you learned that, hey, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. 
that's exactly what I did learn, Austin. That is correct. <laughs> well, I figured. <laughs> and it's funny because I did go in there and my first summer and the first year, I was like, wow, I could see myself doing this for like 10 years. Like I really did. And then over time, what was happening is my mobile, my little side hustle, like, because at that point I was managing other swim instructors because I couldn't be teaching when I'm in Pittsburgh or Chicago. But I started to realize the couple of hours a week that I was spending on my side hustle, I enjoyed it so, so much more than what I was doing in my full-time job. That was a really powerful thing to me, to be able to have kind of both things happening at the same time, like my full-time job and my side hustle, so that I could really appreciate just how much more I enjoyed the side hustle over my corporate job. Yeah, Daniel, why do you actually end up becoming a member and joining our group? So for me, I'm actually working on a startup right now, and I really just wanted to network with entrepreneurs, people who've been in the business for a while. And it's been very helpful to meet people who are very experienced in various fields of business. And I've really enjoyed that aspect of it. Cool. Well, now I appreciate you becoming a member. I mean, you're a guy who's trying to develop an app, right? And I actually made sure we got a guy who helps with apps as one of our group calls. And it's because whatever our members need help with, I'm going to go try and help those people. So, I mean, did you find those group calls helpful at all? Yeah, I mean, those group calls are really helpful. It's great to be able to ask questions with experienced entrepreneurs and people who've been there and through the um, tough times. And it's very good to kind of get that background from them. Was there anything that was holding you back from wanting to join and why you eventually made the plunge? So for me, I just didn't know much about it, you know, and once you kind of explained it to me, but I just didn't really know what it entailed. And, and am I paying you for this promo? No, no. <laughs> There's a lot of people who are in that position. I mean, I kind of even had that at some point. Either you can learn positive and negative things, like whether you had a good boss or you can pull some good attributes that you might want to eventually have. And you can also see stuff like I've got friends that were young lawyers coming out of college and then they would see partners who are there who are like 50 or 60 years old and they're still almost working as hard as them. And they're like, dude, I don't can't envision myself doing this for 40 years just to get to that same position. It's kind of a similar structure, I imagine, in those like management consulting firms. Yeah, it's very much like what they call an up or out. So it's kind of have to be moving up or you leave the organization. You can't just sit in a position for the rest of your career and just be like, okay, I'm happy making $250,000 a year at this level in the company. No, no, you have to keep moving if you're not going to move up. Okay. The interesting part is, like you said, you had started this as a side business and could imagine that you already had swim instructors doing this by Aquamobile on your side business. Because there's a lot of people listening, like, I think they could understand, for instance, even if you're like a physical trainer or something like that, if you're a one-man shop, you wouldn't need your technology as much thinking like, okay, I can calculate how long it's going to get to this house and do all this. But once you have to start managing multiple people underneath you, when you're not the only swim instructor, that's when an additional person schedule, okay, that's going to be harder to work in. But once you start adding in a second person or a third person, then it's like, that's when the headaches start coming. And it sounds like that's when you decided you needed to build software to help you out with this. Yeah, it became one of those things that I guess the problem was early on, I was always trying to provide a really high level of customer service. So being able to calculate, okay, here's when your swim instructor will be able to show up next. And I'm also trying to maximize dollars earned for each of my swim instructors. So I was trying to be this perfectionist where I'm keeping everyone happy. When you don't have technology, trying to do that is a lot of tedious work. Were you just using TripAdvisor a lot? Was it TripAdvisor or MapQuest? No, it was MapQuest. Oh man, yeah, you're bringing up bad memories now. <laughs> no, that was exactly it. And it was right. I mean, it was basically pulling up things like MapQuest. <laughs> 
and add one extra location because that's what's even before kind of Google Maps and everything, really. But the problem is what was happening is you've got some customers who will book their swimming lessons months in advance, like they're super organized and you have other people. So you've got all your schedule from people who want the stuff months in advance. And then you've got people who 24 hours ahead of time, they're like, I need swim lessons like immediately for my family. And so it's like this ever moving schedule. It's not like you can say it's easier for companies that are say a big telecom company that needs to send out someone to set up the internet at a client's home because they don't tell you ahead of time what time they're coming. They're just like, okay, well. Eight to five. <laughs> someone's going to show up yeah, between like 8 a.m. and 10 p.m. And they'll just kind of figure out the morning of who gets served when. But when you're providing a service, whether it's swim lessons or you're having a personal trainer come to your home or someone doing your hair, your makeup, whatever it is, you need to give more accurate estimates than just any time today. That doesn't work anymore. Our society has moved more towards on demand. Like I want something and I want it now. So expectations have also risen among consumers in terms of what they're getting. So at what point did you decide to go ahead and stop working at Bain & Company and then go ahead full-time into Aquamobile? After three years, the typical path of a management consultant is you then go to business school. You typically go to a business school for one or two years, and then you typically could come back into the management consulting company or you leave and do your own thing. In my case, by that point, I was very conflicted because I applied for a business school. I got accepted. A good business school, by the way, too, right? Kellogg at Northwestern University. Yeah, isn't that like the best or top three, I would say? It depends on which ranking. Sometimes they're number one, sometimes number three. Like they're one of the top ones. When you were there, you made them number one, I'm sure, right? Oh, right. Yeah, it was all me, definitely. <laughs> but it was a great school. Like no matter which kind of rankings, you know, whatever they are, they always end up kind of in the top handful. It definitely has a good reputation. And their business schools are not cheap, by the way. And so I had to make a decision. First, I thought I was going to get Bain to pay for my business school and go back because what they do is then you have to go back for a couple years afterwards to help repay for your tuition. But I was just like, I can't go back. Like, I don't think I can do this. I really want to just work on Aquamobile full time because it's growing and I'm only putting in a few hours a week. If I go full time on this, I can really make this into something. And so I was torn. I knew I didn't want to go back to Bain. And so I said, okay, well, what do I do? Do I go? Or people were saying, well, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you don't need to go to business school. You can just go and start your thing. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Just go and start it now. So I talked to a bunch of different people. In the end, I did go and I did the one-year program at Kellogg and I don't regret it one bit. I'm very happy I made that decision, even though I wasn't going into the corporate world afterwards. I did learn stuff during the actual courses, but I think the most valuable thing for me was even just the network of people that I now count as friends, as peers, people that I now have all around the world that I can reach out to if I need help. And I'm also there for them to support them however they need it. So that was a huge thing for me. And it also gave me time to work on Aquamobile and really come up with how am I going to make this into a big business? not just a little side hustle. So I did have that year to kind of reflect and work with some smart people at Kellogg to build out the proper business plan and all of that stuff. And then after business school, I started working on Aquamobile full-time. And so that would have been in summer 2011. At that point, did you have money saved up or did they all go to business school? 
Luckily, I did have some money saved up because working at Bain, while you work hard, it does pay fairly well. So I saved up some money from that and also saved up money from my side hustle. I did have money to pay for Kellogg and I did get some scholarship money as well, which was really nice. It was funny because they called me like three weeks before I'm supposed to report. And they're like, hey, classes start in a few weeks. Are you coming to Kellogg? Because you haven't officially accepted. And I said, well, I told them my situation, how I'm having this last minute kind of should I, shouldn't I crisis. I said, I thought I was going to go back to Bain. And I said, so it's a lot of money. I'm trying to think about it. And I said, do you have any scholarship money? (laughs) I said, no, it's all gone. We thought you were getting your education paid for by Bain. And so in the end, though, they did end up finding a bit of scholarship money for me, which was very thoughtful of them. And that also did help along the way. Okay. And so you come out and do you move back to Canada and Toronto? Yeah, moved back to Toronto, but definitely had my eye on the US market. I knew if I wanted to grow Aquamobile into a big business, then yeah, needed to tackle the US market where there's many more pools and warmer weather. Okay. Just walk us through what was your first year of operations? Like how much money did you make when you did this full time? And just give us a little bit more detail. Yeah. So I think the first year would have been more like 2012 because it's seasonal and I was just kind of coming back from school before that. So in 2012, I think we probably did around $80,000 of revenue or so, I believe. And that would have just been within kind of the Ontario, like the province of Ontario, that's where Toronto is in that area. And I think I then spent the off season working on building a light technology solution, getting ready to test and expand into the U.S. market. And so I believe the year after that, I would have tried to enter the U.S. market via Florida. So took my learnings from the Ontario market, tried to apply them into Florida. They didn't work right away. The methods of recruiting swim instructors was different, and I had to kind of figure out some of those nuances. But eventually figured it out and started making revenue in Florida. What were some of those nuances? Because you said you figured it out. I was just curious. Yeah. So at the time, I was hiring a lot of my swim instructors through university websites in Ontario, through the colleges, universities. But that wasn't really working in Florida. I wasn't able to recruit swim instructors that way. So it actually, when I figured out that Craigslist was the better way in Florida to recruit, I started getting a lot more instructors coming on the platform. Well, also, did you have any of your software set up yet or are you still MapQuestin? Yeah, I think by 2013, like by the time I made my first sale in Florida, I did actually have the sales platform set up because I also knew there was no way I could tackle other cities without that. It was just too painful. And plus, we don't use the metric system, so it's harder for you to figure out the distance for a map quest, right? (laughs) Always switching between kilometers and miles. So I did. And I mean, that was a painful experience in itself, trying to build out the first version of the software. At that time, I was bootstrapping, by the way. So I didn't have a giant fund of money to spend on developers. And quite frankly, even if I did have all that money back then, I don't know how helpful it would have been because I wouldn't have even known what to build. As I was mentioning before, technology was just, things like were just starting to come online. So there were no good models for me to kind of look at for inspiration on the product side. Well, you have suggestions for anyone who's not technical or any mistakes that you would have made that maybe we could learn from for that? Because again, I think a lot of people could be in your situation who are listening. They might be tech savvy, but then developing software is a whole nother skill set. And if you don't understand that coding and whatnot, I'm just wondering what you would do over again so we could learn from that. 
I don't know if it's something that I would do over or just more that times have changed now. A good eight, 10 years have passed. And now there's a lot more options out there for budding entrepreneurs, for people that want to go and build their own business, that they don't actually have to go through the pain that I went through and making the mistakes along the way. Because I'm not technical, I hired the wrong developers sometimes. Someone I thought was a good developer turned out not to be that great. And then sometimes I would use contractors as opposed to employees and they build exactly what you tell them to build and nothing more. And inevitably timelines get extended out, budgets go over. The list of kind of mistakes I've made along the way is endless. I've lost revenue because of it, because the system was broken during peak busy season because the developer was just too junior, the developers working on it. And when something went wrong, when they didn't know how to quickly fix it. What platform did they build it on? I'm just curious back then. Let me see. So I think I trying to remember which one. I mean, there was a lot of custom PHP code in that one. You know, some of the earlier versions of the system, it was something with PHP. I don't even remember. Like we used Mongo database and had issues with Mongo database where then the site was running too slow. Because that's another thing, right? I mean, you've been talking about this. There's already things, headaches going on in my head of like, okay, going down during peak season, that obviously sucks because- Oh my God. Do you have to manually do that? And then sometimes what happens if they even get it to work properly, but it's working so slow, like you said, no one's going to use it. Well, it's funny because I was talking to an entrepreneur this morning who's having that same problem. Like she's invested- close to $50,000 trying to build like a minimum viable product for her startup. And it is so slow because now I know all of these issues, but it's so slow that she loses customers because it just takes too long to load and people don't have time to wait anymore. They're just so like now, now, now. And site speed is a huge issue. It might look pretty, but if it's not fast, people aren't going to use it. What you were saying too is, gosh, I just couldn't imagine. So did it go down during peak season the first year? Here's the thing. I was always trying to push the technology and build it like in the off season, I would always work to improve the system so that we could provide a better experience, reach more people, just grow the business. I was never happy just keeping it as it was. And what happened is delays inevitably happened while it was being built. Like it took longer than the developers thought it would. We were then stuck in a position where we had an old system where the database was going to crash if we added any more customers into it. It was the system would fall apart or we had to kind of rush onto this newer system that wasn't quite ready, but at the same, like we were stuck between this rock and a hard place because our business is so seasonal. And so we got to a point where we had to launch and we did, even though we tested it and the developers did think it was still going to be okay, the site crashed. And I'm not even joking, it took them almost a week for them to get the site back up. Just to give you context, in a week where we would have done $70,000 of sales, we did 5,000 because the site was so broken. People couldn't use it. And it's not even about the loss of revenue. It's now you've got all these angry customers who are very angry at you. It ruins your brand. It ruins your reputation so much. That was a stressful time. The headaches don't just go away after a week. You know that if a problem like that happens, then there's other problems behind the scenes. So it was just kind of that summer was nonstop problem after problem. Did you learn to start telling them that they had to be done months earlier, right? Since they always delayed? Yeah, I think part of the problem was with Aquamobile is, okay, once we got to a size, it's hard to attract top tech talent. 
So that was my problem. So it's like the developer that I had or was able to attract to the idea of Aquamobile was were more kind of like intermediate level ones because a lot of the tech talent was still is being snapped up by the larger companies in Canada, like Shopify, Amazon. They can provide amazing salaries and they're working on some pretty exciting tech challenges. Whereas people didn't necessarily think that being a team of three developers at a company that does swim lessons was super exciting. That was also the part of the problem. It's like, okay, even if you have the money to build something proper, it's getting the right people, the right tech talent. And I was struggling to find that top tech talent. Yeah. So how do you overcome that? Because I could definitely see that because what happens if I wanted to make maybe your software, we could use it to do something similar now, which we'll eventually get into. But I wouldn't have thought that would have been an issue. But now thinking of it, if you're a developer and you have a chance to go work at that versus work at Shopify versus working like Aquamobile, you're like, what is this swim lessons? So I guess I get that, but I, not something that would be top of my mind when I'm like, oh, I'm willing to pay developers, but you still need to do more than just pay them, it seems like. Yeah. I think a lot of people, when they're trying to build their product, they don't think about that. Is It's so competitive right now to find that talent. Just because you have money to throw at these people doesn't mean that they want to take it. And I think, to be honest, where kind of this mark box started to become more and more of a, a thing, as I see all of these pain points that I've gone through and all of the learnings at, at Aquamobile. Like Aquamobile came out the other side of those tech challenges. And even though I now am focused full-time on MarketBox, the team is amazing at Aquamobile and they are running the business and growing it with just a little bit of a one hour meeting a week with me just to make sure things are in line. But I basically with MarketBox want to save other entrepreneurs all of the pain that I went through and save them the time and the money that I had to spend to learn my lessons. And I think the good news is kind of one of your earlier questions was, what did I learn? I think, yes, you can learn from my past mistakes, but there's just also software available out there to help entrepreneurs start a business pretty much instantly or much quicker than in the past. Because even up until a few years ago, the common thinking was that you had to build your own technology. If you were a tech-minded entrepreneur, you had to build your own technology to build a successful business. And that's not true anymore. Part of why Aquamobile was successful is that first and foremost, we were selling swim lessons and then we layered in the technology as we could afford it. But now you've got, you know, on the product side, you've got Shopify who will allow you to spin up an e-commerce store to sell products pretty instantly. And that didn't exist. That was 10 years ago or so that didn't exist. You would have to spend way more money to try and build your own e-commerce platform. What we're trying to do at MarketBox is more on the service side. So how can we help service businesses either spin up a business very quickly or for businesses that are already existing, how do we optimize the logistics of all of their service providers so that they can layer technology into their company to manage their team and then manage sales as well and let customers book their services online and really just automate their business and allow them to grow and scale across whether it's adding more services or adding new geographical locations, just something that's really easy to scale using technology. And that's what we've built with MarketBox. Why don't we fast forward through Aquamobile like every year and then we'll talk about exactly how it became market box, if you will. But so did every year, did it just slowly keep growing? And then every summer you would have headaches of developing the software to make Aquamobile grow. And then again, just walk us through when the transition officially happened for you. Every year it was like steady growth, steady growth, got the business to seven figures in ARR, very concentrated in the summer months though. Say like 90% of your income probably over summer. Yeah. I mean, we'll start 
people will start buying the lessons typically in March. We'll get the cash flow in sooner. And I would say, let's call it 80%, because we also did at this point eventually expand into Australia to help trying to balance out the seasonality. I would say right now where the company is at is 80% of revenue comes from the US market, 15% from Canada, and then 5% from Australia. So we have done things to try and balance out that seasonality. But what started happening is in 2018, other companies started to approach Aquamobile asking, where did you get your software from? Who built that for you? Because I need that for my business. How did people hear about Aquamobile and that you had a cool technology where you like written up in an article somewhere? I'm just curious how they even knew you had this. Yeah, especially in Canada, Aquamobile does have a strong brand reputation. We've won a couple awards that were some fairly big ones across the country. Like we won this TELUS 100 Small Business Challenge and we won $100,000 from that. So we got featured in the major national newspapers. We were on Dragon's Den, which is the Canadian version of Shark Tank, got a lot of publicity from that. I think just over the years, we've gotten some good press coverage and features on TV that boosted our brand. So I think it was a combination of other businesses, you know, maybe watching a show like Dragon's Den saying, oh, because, you know, we even walked through our technology on the show. Okay. So that's exactly how often, I guess. Okay. So they would see it or even they would come to our website like as a wanting swim lessons and saying, hey, oh, this would actually work for my business as well. Or through word of mouth, like people who knew about the software within the tech community, they would kind of pass on people to me and say, hey, you should talk to Diana. She's built this software. Like you should definitely talk to her. When I started having all of these other businesses who I could see were experiencing the same problems that Aquamobile had gone through. That's where I realized, okay, the much bigger opportunity here where I can really have an impact and help other people and flex my creativity muscle again was to split the technology out of Aquamobile and start up MarketBox. So people kept coming to you and it, was that easy for you to go ahead and decide to do? Was there any worrisome, like maybe, I guess it seems like you realized how much of a headache it must've been. Even in the last 15 minutes, I think we can understand. It sounds like every summer you're having issues. You're like, other people have to be having these issues. It's not just me. So it's an easy decision to bring this out of my company and give it to other companies. Yeah. And it was definitely at a point where I was like, look, I also had the stability of Aquamobile because I bootstrapped Aquamobile. I still own all of the equity in Aquamobile. So, I mean, I still had that stability of that source of income, but I knew to really build MarketBox well, I needed to bring in much stronger tech talent than what I had within the Aquamobile team. Because now we're dealing with other company softwares and we need to be like tech leader so that all these other companies don't have problems. So I actually spent a number of months looking for the right CTO because our platform, it's not just a very simple, it is a fairly thorough system. And it was important to have a strong, what's called like an architect to build out our system from day one so that they could think about I wanted someone who could think about the challenges of, okay, as we grow and bring on bigger and bigger customers and more customers, how can we scale the system so that we don't have problems that I had to face when I was at Aquamobile? Like even talking about the database issues, right? Or site speed. If you don't have things architected properly, then your customers are going to have a suboptimal experience. The site's going to be too slow. Makes sense to me. So in case anyone's wondering, it's like, I remember one thing you said earlier about a developer, you're saying that they were building exactly what you wanted. But again, you didn't know all the other features and technology. You really wanted a developer who's forefront thinking a year or two years from now, like, oh, I could do this. I could do exactly what Diana wants, but 
Diana, if I come back to you and say, hey, actually, we should probably not use this technology. We should do something else because if we scale up, we're going to have issues here. And that's the type of CTO or developers and mindset that you needed to help you, right? Yeah. So that's where Blair, my CTO at MarketBox, that's where him and I work really well together because I have the business side of the experience in terms of hey, here's what I would like to automate or here's how I think it should work. And then he'll come to me and say, well, like we can do that, but guess what? With like this technology, we can take it to this next level. We're able to come together and work on the problems from different angles. At Aquamobile, I didn't have that type of technical partner to really help refine the ideas. We just build what they were told. And even then they would then sometimes pick the wrong tech stack to build off of. So that's super important. And so it took me many months before I found Blair, actually. I met him through actually an investor. He actually brought in Blair as to do technical due diligence. And Blair was like, hey, I could actually see myself working on this product. I think it's a great product. And he was looking to do his next thing because he'd already sold his last company and his golden handcuffs had just come off. And so he was looking for his next thing to do. He really liked the idea, saw the value in what we were doing and jumped right in. And ever since he joined, that was a huge step change for us because the progress of the product development just went through the roof. It was much, much faster than what had been previously happening with the product. Having the right CTO is it's a big thing. So just tell us about this transition, I guess you personally. So it did make sense to me. It seems like it's only upside for you because you're like, okay, I still have Aquamobile. There's only so much higher it can go. But if I do this go market box, it's like, okay, I've got Aquamobile on the side, but now I've seen there's another potential of how much more money I can make and like help other businesses. But I just wrote down, how much money do you set aside for market box? Because again, it's a new business. It's like, do I need, how much money should I bring into it? And how did you figure out pricing for this technology? So just walk us through like your mindset when you're stopping one business kind of and bringing it into a new business? First of all, over the course of a year, like I did kind of build up the team to the point where so they knew I was going to be transitioning out of the role and that they'd only kind of have me an hour a week type of thing. So that was spending the time to build them up and build their skills. That was a huge thing. For MarketBox, what I did differently this time is I actually did raise a small little angel round just with some people in the tech community from the Valley and also from Toronto, people that I trusted and I knew they believed in me. And so I just did a very small, like 250000 US dollars. I didn't do a venture round to start just to kind of get things kicked off so that I could bring in that top tech talent right away. You know, because I knew there was going to be a number of months of building the product where we wouldn't be generating any revenue right away because we still had to replatform the technology. There was technical debt in the Aquamobile software. So even though the features, we were leveraging the features and the learnings from the Aquamobile product, Blair basically started the product from scratch, starting from zero lines of code. It was going to be much cleaner that way. So there was a number of months, it was six months basically before we could start bringing on paying customers. I knew that I needed to have some funds in there, not even necessarily to pay me, but to pay the team so I could bring in the top tech talent to work on the product. And the good news is that this idea was big enough for people that they wanted to come and be a part of this. It was much easier to attract developers to this idea than it was to Aquamobile. 
Yeah, that makes sense as well. So you've been at this for a little bit over a year, I guess, so far. So your first six months, there's no money, really. And then now, do you finally have some customers? And because this is very interesting, because you're still very early into this. And so I think there's a lot of insights that you might have of like, okay, if someone's getting into a tech business, just give us the insights of how everything's gone since you started it. Yeah. So basically, I guess I've been full-time on it now, I guess 15 months. Blair came into it a little bit later on, but after we kind of built the first version of the product, so we were in a lucky position, I guess, of having a lot of customers lined up that were waiting for the software, either from people that had initially approached Aquamobile or then just people who were slowly through word of mouth hearing about the software and saying, hey, I need this for my business or I know someone who needs this and they've been looking forever for this software solution and they can't find it. So we're Word was kind of, I kept it very quiet. Even though I started, let's call it January 2019, I didn't publicly announce MarketBox. Till right now, <laughs> right? You're telling everybody right now. Right. Well, now we're publicly announcing it even more. But no, the very first time was, I think, the end of November 2019. So I waited a solid 11 months before telling anyone, before kind of making it broadly known what I was doing and what the team was up to. Because I wanted to make sure at that point that we had customers that were either in beta or using the product and were happy with it. And that we were also at a point where when we did start getting the word out there that we could onboard companies quickly because I didn't want to be at a point where we announced this and we're still working on the product and can't sell to people just yet. So it took time for us to get to that point. I wanted to do it very strategically and keep quiet until we were ready basically to onboard companies quickly. You learned from those pissed off moms and dads with the swimming lessons. If the technology went down, you weren't going to get a second chance. Exactly. Yeah. No, they don't have time for that. So especially if you're doing B2B and you're helping them, like this is a big decision for businesses if you want to be able to integrate another technology. Now you're not just talking about swim lessons again. You're talking about businesses that want to generate revenue and make their things more efficient. And if you come and screw that up, like that's going to be an issue, right? Yeah. And I knew there was no room for error. <laughs> You know, so I think one of the other learnings to answer your question about pricing and how we're doing that, when I first started MarketBox, the first customers, I would say kind of enterprise light, I'll call it like they're kind of companies that are coming in and we're charging, you know, about $5,000. So we had you know, kind of some bigger customers up front, which is great. But what I also realized is we needed an entry point product for businesses that were just getting started. So someone who maybe has an idea that they've always wanted to try and develop, but they just didn't have the money to go and build the technology themselves. Or even smaller businesses that, you know, maybe they're up and running and they've been running for a number of years, but they've never really used technology and they need something, a lighter version of the product to start. And so we now have even like our smallest package is designed to provide an all-in-one solution for even small companies that want to get started to try something out. So what we do for our smaller customers, we take a transaction fee percent and they just have to, the monthly minimum is $250 for the entire platform. And so we wanted it to be something that's affordable. When we look at kind of all of the features in, in our product, we still wanted it to be something that people are paying for that value that we're bringing to the business. Because we really do feel that with our platform, businesses will be able to grow and not just little businesses, but even as these businesses grow into becoming multi-million dollar companies. Maybe a stepping stone might help people is like, hey, join the Facebook group first, and then maybe you can see some of these people and then hopefully join our group calls there. 
I have to admit, you know, the Facebook group is good, but it doesn't even compare to the group calls. And even though the group calls are only once a month, it's just something that is light years better than even being on Facebook. And so I know you're like, oh yeah, Facebook, but no, it's it really, I mean, it is that much different. And I feel like it's almost like a VIP experience where someone's trying to make a meeting to get to that next level, to that CEO or CFO. And I feel like in this call, I'm getting all of that. I'm getting five CEOs or five CFOs, like all there in the call to give me feedback. And it's amazing. It really is. Well, Erica, I've got good news for you. What? What's the good news? Become a member to find out. Yeah, can you give us just examples? I think it's going to make it much easier than us kind of broadband talking about technology over and over. Like, we understand that it worked for Aquamobile. Can you just give us other examples of industries, like especially smaller ones? I think that's what other people could connect with. Again, you don't have to give us the company names, obviously, but if you want to just tell us some of the industries or examples of what you could help with. Yeah, absolutely. We've had a bunch of companies in the mobile beauty space. So they will send like say a nail technician, someone to do like manicures, pedicures, or hair and makeup at clients' homes. Mobile beauty services has been a big one, even in the health and wellness fields. So we've got a business that they send therapists, like child therapists to clients' homes. So the therapist will come and do the session in home with the child. There's another business that does in-home personal trainers. I said that earlier. I'm like, for example, like trainers, like, cause I know a guy who is a trainer where I could imagine that again, I think a lot of us can visualize, but yeah, just keep giving us examples. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. We've even had a business that sends nurses into homes. Especially now. Babysitters. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, right now we're getting like a mobile vet appointments. We've had even allergy testing in the home or air quality testing in the home. Like we've had so many businesses that I didn't even know existed. A photography business so a business that will send photographers out to events to take photos. I'm just blown away by the creative ideas that I've never even thought of before. Even now there's a business that approached us and they do thermal fogging, it's called, which is to clean bacteria and viruses out of offices and homes. And it's great. Like I even had someone approach me in the Barbados and they said, hey, I have these two businesses I want to start. One of them is to send people to clean homes. The other one is to do beauty services. I'm like, great, well, we can have you up and running and you can test it, see how it goes. And they're up immediately. We also get a lot of founders. And these are even people that have maybe they've raised institutional money, but they don't have a technical co-founder and they don't want to waste the time or money trying to find one. And so they'll come to us for the product side of things, for the technology so that they can get going right away and not waste time and money. So if you have any tech savviness, could I set this up? Like, for example, also some of these examples, again, I think the more examples you give, the better, like even if we have more of them, but for these people that just had a single website and so now they feel like a way bigger company because there's one, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, for example, and so pretend I was opening up my own beauty mobile van, right? <laughs> Which I plan on doing tomorrow. So I could just launch a website and then just throw your software basically on there. And then I would, everyone think I could be a big company, basically. Is that the kind of idea that like if I had multiple mobile vans, I could just implement this and get it to go right away? It could be, yeah. You don't even, as the business owner, have to have 
like own all of the vans and stuff. Like these are contractors. They could be contractors for me. Contractors. Exactly. Basically a company just has to throw up their own mini marketing website, which you can easily build with uh, Webflow, WordPress. There's a number of sites. It'll probably cost a couple hundred dollars to buy like a templated theme. And then, you know, you would have on your marketing website, a book now button, and then that would direct you over to the market box booking flow so that customers can book themselves our market box platform, you can customize the look of it. So each of our companies, like the brand colors, the logo, the background image, it's all customizable to whatever you want. So it feels like it's part of the rest of your company's brand. You can then have customers can go online. They just literally enter in their home address or their business address, and they'll be able to see the service providers that can travel to them and they can book and pay online with the software. You know, our software will then calculate everything from travel time and in the behind the scenes, it's managing all of your different service providers so that only the service providers that are close by to that customer will go and serve that customer. So you don't have the problem of someone who's like 90 minutes away from the customer having to drive and take on that customer. Okay. So it works best if, like you were saying, I didn't need to own my mobile beauty vans. I just had to be basically kind of the local marketplace, right? And then if I have one in each specific location of the city, then that's what kind of makes separates your software from the others is like trying to figure out the best distance and see if it fits in their calendaring system. I think, yeah, on the logistics side of things, so managing the different travel zones for each of these service providers, and then also providing a a good scheduling and booking flow that customers can book by themselves. Because there are a couple other called, you can build up a marketplace instantly, but they don't deal with the logistics side of things. And their booking flow is very like, it's not customizable. And so what happens is we've put a lot of flexibility points into our booking system so that a business can come and say, for my business, I want to sell one-off appointments only. Like a vet, you probably don't need to book a vet very often. We've got a company that does Minecraft, like STEM lessons for kids. And that's something where they just want the person to Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Every Tuesday, they have an appointment. It's a recurring appointment forever. Other businesses, even Aquamobile, only sells packages of lessons. We don't allow customers to come and just book one-off lessons. So the key for us is where we're really strong is allowing these businesses to kind of customize their booking flow so that it works for their business type. So that's why we win a lot of contracts because we've built in that flexibility and because we manage the travel component of managing these workers. Like there's lots of scheduling softwares out there, but they're really meant for businesses that have physical locations as opposed to traveling workers. Wow. You read my mind. That's exactly what I was about to say is like, so if I just had a dentist office, right? I go to that dentist and they're not a mobile dentist, then there's a lot of calendaring systems where that's easy. But once you bring in the geolocation, right? Or trying to figure that out, that's where yours, it seems like that's a whole nother thing. Like logistically speaking, I guess I'd never even thought of it. But now that we finally come to the end of the interview, I'm like, okay, this is the one main thing that makes it stand out. And I could see how a lot of companies like you're saying might not need a CTO or something like that. If you have that integration that they can just build into their website, because that's a huge component is again, the logistics. And I now I think comes full circle of like why it was so difficult for you to do mobile swim lessons, right? Yeah, it was not an easy thing to kind of build the software. And that's why it speaks volumes. I think that we still have people that are coming to us and saying, I've been looking for the software for years. Like, thank you for building this. It's just something that no one's really paid a lot of attention to. 
or they've tried to solve the problem and not solved it well. And so that's where, you know, I've been taking all of these years of learnings and building it into the products so that we can build a product that actually works for these businesses. Cause I've been in their shoes. I know what they need to grow their business to the next level. It sounds like the hardest part for you was this like technology and finally figuring it out. Is that what it sounds like? Unless I'm missing anything else along your journey of growing Aquamobile and then now eventually here MarketBox. What's been the hardest part? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it was definitely within Aquamobile. It was always kind of, I was always stuck trying to figure out how do I scale my business, take it to the next level, was trying to use technology to do it with varying degrees of success, depending on the year. And that's when I realized, look, now that I've got an idea of what works with the technology, let me share this with other companies so that they can be up and running quickly and not be spending tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to build their technology solution. You don't need to do it anymore. You know, piggyback off what I've built, (laughs) basically. How about personally? I don't think we touched on anything personally. Did you go through any ups and downs like that, like emotionally or personally, like with any other relationships or anything like that? Because again, you've been a sole founder, it sounds like, so it didn't seem like there were any business breakups or anything like that. But what's been the hardest thing personally over this time? That's a good question. I mean, luckily, like I've got my fiance is extremely supportive of what I'm doing with my entrepreneurial journey. And he has a corporate job. So it kind of balanced each other out that way. I would say one of the challenging thing was at first trying to explain to my family what exactly it was I was doing. I don't even know if my mom still knows what <laughs> what I do. I think that was kind of challenging, you know, having them kind of worrying about me, like, okay, what is she doing? Is she okay? Like, is, is she making money? Like, they're just kind of constantly worried because they come from a generation where corporate jobs are more perceived to be more stable anyways. So I think that, and then I think another thing is sometimes it's just like the grind of the hours. There's definitely been periods of my life where I've had to just kind of really double down on business side of things. And luckily I enjoy it and I'm passionate about it, but there's definitely been some times in the past where maybe I haven't been as balanced with where I'm spending my time. Like, especially when I couldn't really share, or I felt like I couldn't share the journey when I was switching over from Aquamobile to MarketBox. I was kind of keeping that quiet. That was challenging because I had my head so down, just trying to pull myself out of one business, starting a new business. So I wasn't necessarily out and socializing with people as much and I couldn't really share why. (laughs) So that was kind of also a bit challenging to to kind of have that balance while being in between two businesses. I mean, do you think you have that balance now? Yeah, I've definitely found more of that balance. And I mean, one of the things that's been very helpful to me, just especially these last couple months, as the world is a little more chaotic outside, is just really starting every day with a few minutes of meditation, a few minutes of gratitude, a few minutes of visualization of where I want the direction of my life to be going and the direction of my business life as well. And that's been really helpful just to kind of ground me at the start of the day, being thankful for kind of what we have and can't control everything out there in the world. Yeah, it just really sets my day off on a positive note so that I can be more efficient and effective as I'm getting through all of the tasks that I need to accomplish, which can at times feel very never ending (laughs) when you're an entrepreneur. That's been something for me that's helped me find my balance and stay balanced. That and then making sure I bake out time to just move, like have some physical movement throughout the day, whether that's lifting weights or going outside, doing some sort of cardio. Balance is really important for me. So. Doing some swim lessons. 
<laughs> yeah, it was just before the podcast. I just had like, you know, 20 minute window. So I was jumping, I was doing skipping outside for 20 minutes, you know, just to get my heart rate up and get moving. Cause after this, I've got a very busy day and I was like, well, if I don't get this in now, I might not get a chance. So no, it's the same thing with me. Like, I, it's funny because I went outside. I'll just take the dogs on a walk for like 10 or 15 minutes just to get outside. And I've got the same thing with me since I'm working from home. And I think a lot of people probably are now, obviously. Luckily, I have dumbbells around the house and stuff. And it's like, I got to get moving because I know I'm going to be sitting my ass down talking. I've got a couple of meetings back to back to back here. It's like, okay, you got to work this in while you can or else you're going to feel like pretty lazy later. So yeah, exactly. Thank you for coming on again and sharing your story. Now, like looking back on it, it sounds exciting for Market Box and wish you well, obviously, on it. But is there any last words for anyone who's listening on motivation or any last words of wisdom that you have for them? If I could leave one thing is pick one thing that you want to do, focus. And I would say look for opportunities out there now to, as you're trying to grow your business or start a business, there's a lot of tools out there that are available now that weren't available when I was starting a business that will make your life a lot easier. Yeah, like Microbox, right? Like Microbox, yeah. <laughs> if we can help any listeners out there, I'm happy to actually offer any listeners one month free on our platform to try it out and see if they can get something started. I would love to be a part, you know, even if Microbox plays a small part in entrepreneurs' future success, that would mean a lot to me. So if anyone is listening, they can, when they reach out, just let us know and happy to help them out. Yeah, I appreciate you offering that too. So hopefully people take you up on that offer. So if they want to thank you for doing the interview, learn more about maybe how they could try one month free, should they reach you during via email or is there a different way? What's the best way for them to say thanks and reach out about that demo? Yeah, so multiple different ways. You can reach out at on all the social medias. So my Twitter handle is at Diana M. Goodwin. I'm also on Instagram at Diana Goodwin. You can email me at my email address, which is diana at gomarketbox.com. Yeah, you can also find us on the website at gomarketbox.com. And you can also fill out a form there if you'd like to see a demo of product. Yeah, the team would be happy to show you a demo as well. So multiple ways to reach me. I'm, I'm pretty open to, to outreach. So feel free to you know, say hi, ask me a question, and I'll do my best to help out. Well, thanks again for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah, happy to be on. Thanks for having me. Hey there, Millionaire Interviews listener. Even though you're probably alone right now while listening to this podcast, know that at this very second, you're actually listening with thousands of other listeners all around the globe. And if you'd like to connect with those listeners all around the globe, or maybe you want to ask one of our guests a question about their episode, well, then check out our Facebook group. Just search for Millionaire Interviews Podcast. Hasta luego, baby. Money, 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 money. No, no, the good part, man. That is the good part. Money! I kill for that money, man. Oh, my dollar. All right, Hollywood. Bounce, 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 b